you all here. My name is Doug Fullington. Welcome to our performance tonight. This is our second program of the season. We have three works. Uh, all of them were choreographed for PNB, and the second work is uh, a world premiere. Just premiered last week, first time out. Just created over the last couple of months, so that's exciting. Uh, the score uh, as well for that piece is commissioned, so I'll talk more about that. And uh, we'll discuss these ballets in the order that we'll see them tonight, but uh, please don't hesitate to uh, ask questions or make a comment as we go along. If I don't see you, uh, just holler, and uh, I'll leave some time at the end as well to, to discuss anything that you would like. But um, as usual, our casting insert has uh, the casting for all the performances this weekend, so we want to be sure we're looking at uh, Saturday 11-11 for the casting for tonight. We begin with Wartime Elegy, which is choreographed by Alexei Rotmansky and premiered last year. Uh, how many of you saw Wartime Elegy last year? Okay, so about half of you. All right, this is really interesting to talk about. It's such a, a timely uh, work. Uh, Alexei Ramonsky, the choreographer, is one of the most uh, celebrated choreographers working in classical dance today. He's New York-based, but he is from uh, both Russia and Ukraine, and uh, made this work in particular to uh, comment on this moment in time and the war in Ukraine, but also to celebrate the people of Ukraine. Um, it's worth just going over Alexei's bio just a little bit because it helps sort of explain uh, his, his strong connection to, to these places. Uh, his mother is Russian. He was born in St. Petersburg. His father is Ukrainian. He grew up in Kyiv. Then he was back in Russia for his ballet training in Moscow at the Bolshoi School. Then he got his first professional job in Ukraine. Then he came to the West and he danced at Royal Winnipeg Ballet in Canada, and then went over to Denmark and was a principal dancer at the Royal Danish Ballet. And then he became artistic director of the Bolshoi Ballet where he had gone to school. He likes to make the point that they did not hire him when he graduated, but then they did hire him to run the company some years later. This was in the early 2000s, and he was there for, I want to say, five or six years. After that, he uh, moved to the U.S. and became artist-in-residence at American Ballet Theater in New York. There's a little bit of a almost bidding war over him between New York City Ballet and American Ballet Theater. They both performed there at Lincoln Center. Uh, and he just now, this season, has moved over to New York City Ballet, where he's artist-in-residence. We have four works by Alexei Rotmansky in the repertory. Uh, two of them were made for New York City Ballet. I find them maybe his most uh, uh, contemporary or original looking works. We also have his uh, really wonderful production of Don Quixote, uh, 19th century ballet in the repertory. It's a lot of fun. And now we have Wartime Elegy, which he made for us last year. It was the first work that he choreographed after the uh, war in Ukraine began. Uh, both he and his wife have their uh, families, parents, extended families in Ukraine, so of course it is a very uh, stressful time. And Alexei has uh, spoken at length 
through social media, through interviews, uh, television, about how uh, he feels profoundly changed as an artist now that this, now that the war has begun. He said he never thought of himself as, as political. He thought of uh, the art he worked in as, as uh, completely separated from, from political matters and humanitarian matters. And now he feels really completely differently about that. In making this work, he wanted to uh, not only celebrate the people of Ukraine, but uh, utilize the work of other uh, Ukrainian artists. Um, so we can start with the music. The outer movements, this is about a 20-minute work in four sections. First and fourth section have music by Valentin Solestrov, who is a, a celebrated Ukrainian composer. He was born in 1937. He's 86 years old this year. And initially, Alexei was going to use uh, his music throughout the whole work. He was going to use a, a set of pieces called Four Postludes, uh, scored for strings and piano. They're all very contemplative uh, and melancholy in, in feel. But then he thought that, it, that the, the mood would be too static throughout. And so he picked two. And so the book ended the ballet with these two Sylvesterov works. And then in the middle, he selected uh, Ukrainian folk music. And I believe their recordings, and I believe they were uh, made in the 1930s. So they have this sort of vintage feel to them, even in the sound quality. And he's choreographed uh, first a uh, folk dance for four men, followed by a folk dance for four women. There are eight dancers in this ballet. And they all dance at the beginning and the end, and then the second dance is for the men and the third for the women. And they're just um, the sunniest, brightest, most joyful dances. And he really wanted to show that aspect to the Ukrainian people because, of course, the situation there is terrible and fraught, and uh, there's not a lot to be joyful about. But nevertheless, that is a part of the culture and heritage. And so he uh, sought to, to show that in this work. And I think he, he, he gives us many moods in this short period of time. Um, the scenic design is a set of projections put together by uh, Wendell Harrington, who is a frequent collaborator with Alexei. And there are um, sketches of that look like deconstructed sculpture that we see at the beginning and the end, and then Ukrainian folk art is projected during the folk dances. So what we're seeing, uh, both uh, the projections, the dance, and what we're hearing, everything is created by uh, Ukrainian artists. So I think Alexei achieved the goal here. When a company uh, commissions a new work like this, the agreement with the choreographer usually includes an exclusivity clause meaning that the company that's commissioned the work has the right to be the only ones to perform it for a certain period of time. It's often uh, as short as one year, sometimes it's three years, uh, and we have that standard clause, but um, there is a group of Ukrainian dancers that are, I believe they're based in The Hague, they left Ukraine uh, because of the war and were able to organize with the help of some artists and presenters of Western Europe and form what they're calling the United Ukrainian Ballet, and uh, they asked if we would allow them to perform uh, wartime elegy uh, on their programs, 
And so, of course, Peter Bull uh, was happy to do that and waive this exclusivity clause. And we sent our rehearsal director, Giovanni Villalobos, over to The Hague uh, to set the work for them. Alexei wasn't available. When a choreographer comes here or a stager, one of our rehearsal directors is assigned to work with them. And they work right alongside the choreographer or the stager. And they learn every role. Uh, and everything about the ballet that the choreographer or stager can impart. So when they leave, the rehearsal director is the person responsible for it here, sort of on the ground, if you will. And Gio is that person here at PMB. And so he's sort of the one person besides Alexei who knows the whole work and every part. So he went over to The Hague and uh, staged or set the ballet, as we say, on the United Ukrainian ballet dancers and they've been able to perform it. So the work's been, been seen, not just here, but elsewhere as well. Uh, we have two casts that perform this, and we've had two casts from the get-go, uh, and you can see them listed here, the eight dancers that make up the two casts. The first cast listed is our cast tonight. Um, and before I leave this work, I just want to draw your attention to a couple pages in the printed program on pages 26 and 27, there's an interview called Narrative in Motion. It's an interview with Marina Harse, who's a, a wonderful dance writer. She's a friend. She's uh, New York-based, and she has just published a biography of Alexei Rotmansky uh, with his cooperation. It's been in the works for some years. It's called The Boy from Kiev. Uh, I know that Kate had copies in the shop here in the hall, it may be sold by now, but you can get it at any sort of online bookshop. But it discusses Alexei's life up until just a couple, about a year and a half ago. I think the book goes right through the beginning of the war. And she uh, discusses you know, his upbringing and career, but uh, maybe even more so discusses all of his works. So if you've enjoyed what you've seen by Ratmansky and our repertory, uh, I think this would be a good read. It's written to be accessible to dance enthusiasts and dance, uh, dance lovers, so um, I just want to recommend that to you and point out that it's uh, featured uh, in our program. So that's great, very timely. All right, so Wartime Elegy comes in in about 20 minutes, then we have our first intermission, and then we get to our world premiere, which is titled The Window. It's a really unique work. I'll try and give you some background without telling you everything about it, because you need to watch it and see it and experience it. But I think we're all excited about it here. It's choreographed by Danny Rowe, Danielle Rowe, who is Australian. She uh, had her dance career with the Australian Ballet, where she was a principal dancer. She now lives in the States. And more than that, she is just three hours down south in Portland, where she's the artistic director of Oregon Ballet Theater. So she's our uh, neighbor uh, in ballet terms here on the coast. And Peter uh, commissioned this work from, here, from her, and she's been up here, of course, in our studios creating it over the last month and some. Uh, the program note for this work is on the casting insert. It, because it was a new work and being created, I'm just assuming the note didn't make the print deadline for the program, and I'm so glad that Danny has written a note and included it because she gives a little bit of background about the piece, and I do think this is a work that benefits from knowing a little bit of the context. 
she's explained that uh, a friend called her and said, I heard this podcast and this book was discussed um, called The Living Room, and I think you'd really be interested in it. So Danny listened to this podcast and heard about the story of neighbors that live next door to each other and sort of, ex without knowing each other intimately, nevertheless experienced uh, significant and intimate and really tumultuous moments in each other's lives because of their proximity as neighbors. Which sounds maybe so unlikely for a ballet, but Danny heard the podcast and thought, that's my story for my work for PNB. So she set out to create this work. It is just for three dancers. Um, and it's very much a narrative work. And because it's only for three dancers and comes in almost to 25 minutes, it's a very detailed study of the characters that she is creating. Uh, we can see from the program that there are some names given to the characters. Uh, there is a, a woman who is the watcher. This is a woman who presumably lives on her own. She's one of the neighbors. And then there's the man and the woman who are a couple that live next door. And uh, I guess it's a situation, we kind of had this when I was growing up. Our kitchen window looked into the neighbor's kitchen window. Does anybody have, have that or had that growing up? So even if you don't know know your neighbors well, you're very aware of them. You have a sense of, I don't know, when they get up in the morning or do they make their coffee or are they on a vacation? You just kind of know what's going on because you see them. You see them come and go and it's just sort of part of how you live your life. They're, they're this presence, even if you're not close. And that seems to be the situation here. These people don't know each other, yet the proximity is, is very, very close. And the woman, uh, who lives presumably on her own, um, witnesses really tumultuous events in, in the, the lives of this couple next door. And this is how the story proceeds. You can see that below the uh, note uh, are listed five chapters. So the work is divided into five sections. And in fact, uh, a projection will let us know this is chapter one. And so a projection will sort of um, call out to us each time we're moving into a new section of the work. Uh, Danny has had a musical score commission for this uh, work, which I think is a great idea because she's really building a narrative from the ground up. And she commissioned it from another former dancer, Shannon Rugani. Uh, Shannon had her career at San Francisco Ballet. She left that company to join the original cast of Christopher Wielden's uh, musical An American in Paris. I don't know if any of you have seen that. I didn't see it in New York, but it came through Seattle on tours. It's a wonderful, very slick production. So Shannon was in that. So she's been a dancer in numerous contexts, but she's always been a musician as well. And she's always composed. She sings. She's working primar primarily in pop music now, but she's composed this work, which is her first work for orchestral instruments. It's is primarily for strings. There's harp and some additional instruments as well. But she worked really closely with Danny to create a score that would support the narrative that Danny is trying to put across. Before our dress rehearsal, each rep, we have a program down here in this space called PMB Conversations. And it usually involves uh, Peter Bowl or, or another member of the artistic staff interviewing either choreographers or stagers or people that are very integrally uh, integral to the uh, works that we're presenting. So 
Peter was interviewing Danny and Donald Byrd, and he asked them, what limits do you think dance has with regard to narrative? What Are there limits to what dance can communicate? And it's such a good question, and everyone's going to have a different answer. But Danny's answer was that she felt dance could communicate sort of everything in between the words, if you will. So dance doesn't, unless you have dancers speak, or you have a voiceover, which we heard last preparatory program, um, it, of course, dance is gesture, and there are no words. But Danny's response was that it can convey the reactions, everything sort of between the lines uh, that uh, goes unsaid but is implied. And I think in working with Shannon, uh, Danny is working to uh, strengthen all of those, uh, the gestures that she's created. So we have uh, as much communicated about the narrative to us as possible. And of course, we're all going to sort of perceive it in a different way. In fact, I think that is the beauty of gesture. It's open-ended enough that we can, uh, you know, it asks something of us in the interpretation. But um, we have some clues, of course, from what Danny's given us. And I, th I do think in this, in this instance, these are helpful because we can sort of get right to it. We, said, we know who these people are, and now we can see how the story's going to play out. Uh, our lighting designer is Reed Nakayama. He's our resident lighting designer. And I love how he's used the space. We've got a big stage and a big theater for a narrative work for three. Uh, we see 2,900 here. Um, but Reed has divided the stage up using lighting. You'll see the lighting equipment descend from the fly space, and it will create a smaller space on stage for the different uh, interactions to happen. And I think that was a, a very clever way to create uh, uh, the suggestion of an intimate space in a much larger space in which we're all, you know, uh, sitting and observing just the three on stage for this time. So uh, that is some background for the window. We have three casts, which also is, is really something for a new work. Oftentimes, a new work is being created almost right up until the premiere, and sometimes only one cast will perform on its first outing, its first seven or eight shows that we do. But here we have three casts performing. Uh, Danny has said she really likes to work with multiple casts in the creation of the work because each dancer is going to bring something and, and the characters end up, I think, probably being a sort of composite of uh, influences of not just Danny, but the various dancers that are all creating the same character. I, I think that sounds like a really great experience in the studio. So that is the window, and then we have our second intermission, and then we get to... The last ballet on the program, choreographed by Donald Byrd, titled Love and Loss. If you've not noticed, this program is very different from the first program back in September, in which we had three ballets that were quite light, uh, had a lot of humor and wit. Tonight's are much more sober, but I like to think of them as contemplative. Loss, nevertheless, does, does figure uh, throughout these works, the different kinds of loss. Donald, like Danny, has given us a program note, which is in the printed program, and he explains that the loss he's talking about is the loss of a relationship. So in his work, he's exploring love in a relationship and loss in a relationship. 
the title comes from just a slightly longer title, Songs of Love and Loss, which is the name of the piece of music that Donald has choreographed to. It's by a composer named Emmanuel Whitstone, who is an Israeli composer that Donald, I believe, met in Israel. He was there working on a project, uh, and they've collaborated since. Songs of Love and Loss originally was for a string quartet, so very intimate scoring, you know, just the four players. And Donald, knowing he wanted to use a larger cast for this work, asked Emmanuel if he would rescore the string quartet for string orchestra so we get more players involved, we get a larger, sort of more, a um, little more gravity in the sound, if you will. So you'll hear um, our orchestra of strings uh, play this piece tonight. There's some electronic sounds interwoven too, and I find it really fascinating. There are some sections that have uh, repeated phrases, and then this electronic sound is woven in suddenly realize it's there. I find it fascinating. You'll see Josh, our conductor, wearing headphones during the first movement. It's so you can, he can coordinate the pre-recorded sound with the live music, uh, which is no easy feat. So uh, I think it comes off really wonderfully. Uh, as I said, Donald has a very large cast. Um, I particularly enjoy uh, the movement quality of this piece. We're often dealing in ballet with a lot of bravura dancing, jumps and turns and fast dancing, particularly for male dancers. And here we have a lot of the younger dancers featured in the company in what we refer to as adagio dancing, slower dancing that requires a lot of demonstration of strength and fluidity of movement and ability to sustain. And we don't often see this, particularly from the male dancers in the company, and I think that they're featured really beautifully. Uh, it's, it's a unique aspect of this work. Um, and I think that this type of movement fits and complements the music very well. So we get not a static feel, but a, a, a very contemplative feel that offers it time to really look at the movement and particularly the pairings of dancers. Because the ballet is uh, dealing with relationships, of course, dancers are often paired uh, throughout this big cast. And you can see how they're paired on the casting insert as well. The scenic design here also plays into the mood and feel of the piece. Uh, it, both the scenic design and lighting are done by Randall Chiarelli or Rico Chiarelli, who was our technical director for many years features five doorways upstage. And they're not the doorways that dancers run through and make a, a, a very obvious entrance, but they will appear there. Usually when uh, the previous dance is going on, the dancers who are sort of on deck, if you will, appear in the doorway, and they're just there for a while. And then they move out into the space and begin the dance. So that also contributes to this, um, what in music we call slower harmonic movement meaning that the chords and the harmonies change at a slower rate. And I think this is the, the feel that Donald's really cultivated here. Um, and I think harder to do in movement than it is in music, for sure. But uh, I do, um, I, I really appreciate this quality of this piece, and I think it's, it's uh, really wonderful to watch for that, that and for other reasons. And just the opportunity to see so many dancers in the company uh, Donald's also working in classical ballet vocabulary, and yet the costumes the dancers wear look like 
everyday clothes, if you will. The, the women are wearing sort of short dresses. The men are wearing short sleeve shirts that I believe they button down and pants, all very fitted that help, that allows to really see the body in motion. But it reminds me of the, what I think of as the transcendent quality of classical ballet, that it can be dressed in a variety of ways and still be very effective. And uh, I, I think it speaks for itself that it's, ballet has been handed down over centuries now, and we're still performing it. We can dress it in the clothes of our own time and still experience uh, its beauty. So that is love and loss. We do have our uh, post Q&A question and answer down here. If you've not been, you're welcome to come right back down here after the performance. Peter Bull uh, interviews a dancer or two that just performed tonight. Peter's um, interviewing Larry Lancaster. Larry is, this is first year in court of ballet, if I'm correct. He was an apprentice last year. He's featured in Love and Loss. Uh, in these uh, sort of wonderful adagio movements that I was talking about. So if you would like to come and hear from Larry and Peter about the work, ask any questions you'd like, it's a great way to get to know the dancers and to sort of share the experience with your uh, fellow audience members. And also, great way to let the garage clear out. So I don't know, are we having Kraken tonight? There's an event. I think we're out before they're out. Also a plus. So our program runs about 2 minutes 10, I want to say. Uh, lastly, I just want to bring to your attention that we've had three promotions. Uh, Sarah Gabrielle Ryan was promoted last week to principal dancer. And uh, she is on stage tonight in Love and Loss. She also dances Wartime Elegy, but she's not in tonight's cast. Uh, Ku Sakuragi, promoted from Court of Ballet to Soloist. Uh, we just love Koo. He's from Bellevue and came up through PMB school. I've known Koo since yay big. And uh, we're just so proud of him and thrilled that he's in the company and he's promoted. Um, you'll see him both in Wartime Elegy and Love and Loss. Alexei Ramazzi loved Koo and created wonderful choreography for him that you'll see him dance tonight. Uh, the other promotion is Clara Ruth Maldonado, who's promoted to soloist. Clara is not on tonight, but she dances all three ballets tomorrow. <laughs> so she has, she has a triple header. So if, you're, if you, for some reason you are back tomorrow, you'll see Clara in everything. So uh, very exciting promotions, and those are, um, those are uh, in the program as well. So you can see the dancers sort of uh, recognized in their new ranks. All right, so those are our three works. We have uh, a couple more minutes if there's anything you'd like to ask or discuss. I'm happy to try. Uh, please, yes. For the uh, second piece, when was that commissioned and then when did she show up to actually choreograph it? How long? What is the timing of that? When was uh, the window commissioned? Well, I can answer the first one. Uh, Danny came just. Um, I think she started after the September rep. So if I'm correct, she would have just started in October, probably second week of October, and would have made the work during that time. She may have come up earlier in the season, maybe to watch the dancers in class and get a sense of the dancers in the company, but it was a pretty concentrated period. The commission was probably made about three years ago, I'm guessing. 
Now that I'm not working full-time in the artistic office, I'm just slightly out of the loop, but that's generally how it would go. About three years ahead, kind of depends on the schedule of the, the person that you're commissioning from. Some you have to go uh, uh, further out, but that's my guess. And then once the commission is given and the contract signed, then Danny would start to assemble her, um, her team. Uh, composer and costume designer and lighting designer and uh, start thinking about the concept. So it's something that sort of happens in stages, but sort of on the ground in the studio. Um, because we're a repertory company and doing uh, program after program, usually you're working in the slot right before your program. So you sort of have to come sort of ready. What a balance you'd say, the muse comes to me on union time, <laughs> so you hope that you're ready, and, uh, but from all accounts, it was a really uh, productive and collaborative experience next door in the studios. Thanks. Anybody else? Yes, please. Everybody's healthy and no new pregnancies? Oh, everybody's healthy and no new pregnancies. Not that have been announced that I know of. And you know, everyone healthy? Pretty much, you know, it's ballet is like a professional sports and that there are sort of, a lot of people are kind of maintaining some level of something going on. And uh, I've been watching football more than usual this year, so that I'm kind of reminded of that too. You know, so-and-so's been out for a couple weeks, now they're back. And, and uh, ballet's hard on the body, as graceful as it looks. Uh, the bodies take a beating. So, but we have a great sort of wellness team, therapy, massage, and, and uh, those uh, staff on hand to help the dancers uh, with their physical maintenance. So, yeah. Sure. Uh, do more injuries come from performance or from daily practice? Do more injuries come from performance or daily practice? From daily practice, yeah. And, you know, there's, there's a kind of in, uh, injury that will happen in the moment, and then there are the sort of injuries that are wear and tear injuries that happen over time. And as a dancer goes through, through their career, and it's different for everybody, they usually get to a point where they are starting to maintain certain uh, long, more long-term uh, issues. Because your body just, you know, we all know, <laughs> you know, my knees aren't the same or my back, and that's just exacerbated by the kind of movement that they're doing. So, but they, they learn and are helped with uh, how to, to sort of manage that in a way that will allow them to do their job and do what they want to do, but do it in the safest way possible. So, yeah, it is a, it is a, a pervasive topic, of course, in the day-to-day -day of, of the work here. Sure, let's do one more. Um, could you say anything about the costumes for the window? Oh, yes, the costumes for the window. Um, I forget the costume designer's name, so I'm just going to grab it here. Right, Emma Kingsbury, who I believe also is Australian and has worked with Danny Rowe before. Um, the costumes, not unlike the costumes in Donald Byrd's piece, they are costumes that look like clothes. Um, so it, it helps, I think, with the relatability and accessibility of, of creating the character. They aren't in a costume that sort of creates a barrier, if you will, or makes them so different. 
So I know in designing costumes like that, and these are usually what we call built. They're not purchased and then sort of manipulated, but they're built from the ground up. And uh, in ways so that the dancers can move as freely as they need to, and the costume sort of always comes back into place. For instance, if your arms are up, it's gonna kind of, as soon as they come down, costume's coming with you and things like that. I know that um, Emma King, Kingsbury is a really active uh, costumer. I believe she's designing uh, Wagner's Ring for La Scala, if I'm correct. So she's, she's out and about and doing a lot of work. So I think it, it was uh, wonderful to uh, have her here working in the shop next door and have, have that relationship made. So maybe we'll see more of her work in the future. Thank you. All right, I need to let you all go because Kurt is in half an hour. Um, please remember you are welcome to come back for post-Q&A, but uh, above all, thank you very much for being here and supporting the ballet and enjoy the performance. <laughs>